could not wait. I could not wait for today. I could not wait for today to talk to you. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, Knox, what is it that you could, why couldn't you wait for today? Because I left you last time with homework. Do you remember what your homework was? I do. I remember what your homework was, and I want to know if you did it. So I'm going to put a link right now inside of the comment sections from wherever you are streaming from. And if you want to tell us, because I got the good bishop here with me, how your homework assignment panned out to take over the world in just a week by following a couple things, I would love to hear about it. I would love to hear how you took some dominion this week by listening to last week's show and doing those five things that the good bishop talked to you about. But that's 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 not the thing, the reason why I couldn't wait to jump on here today. And I know what you're thinking. You're saying, Knox, Knox, I know why you want to jump on here today, because you wanted to talk about Owen Strand's tweet. Well, you might be right about that. When you tweet something like, the kingdom of Christ does not advance by law. The kingdom of Christ advance by the gospel. Yeah, I, I might want to say a few things about that. I, I actually think the good bishop, David Reese, might want to say a few things about that. But that, that's not why. Because I got sidetracked. You know what happened? My refrigerator went out in my house. Has nothing to do with you. I don't know. Maybe it does. But my refrigerator went out in my house. And we bought a new refrigerator. My wife is at home being a great queen, managing the house. And the guys come to deliver my refrigerator. And all of a sudden, I get a call telling me my refrigerator is not going to fit in the front door. Now, mind you, uh, hey, Bishop Reese, good to see you there. Uh, remind you, I used to deliver appliances for a living. I did it for a while, long time. There has not been one job I've ever done where we didn't deliver the refrigerator to the proper place it was supposed to go. And I was particularly careful to make sure that whatever job we did for women, it was done even to a higher degree because I didn't know if there was going to be any other men that could help her after we left. So I wanted to make sure that the responsibilities and duties I had were executed to the highest degree. I just found out that my refrigerator is somehow on my front porch because they didn't get it in there. Now They executed avoiding work to, to the highest degree. My wife called me, Bishop, and was like, uh, so we can't get the refrigerator through the front door and they don't know what to do. And so, and I'm on the phone listening to two grown men figure out how not to do as much work as possible to make this happen. I'm listening to these men find reasons not, and I'm on the phone just removing the reasons why you can't. Like, well, you can't. Like, yeah, that one doesn't work. Toss that one out. Here's what we can do to fix that. Here's what we can do to fix that. And it hit me in the moment that we are at a place where people are trying their best not to work, <laughs> not to have to do the job. How do we figure out how to get out of this? And it wasn't, it was just delivering a refrigerator. This wasn't that big of a deal. The repercussions, of course, for me and my family are great, but this isn't that big of a deal. What, what if this is being applied to every area inside of American society where people are figuring out how not to manufacture a product, how not to fix your car, how not to fix the door on a plane, you know? And it's frustrating because I'm like, we, we aren't, if, <laughs> I know it's not your problem, but if we can't get a refrigerator to get inside of a house, to get into the place so people can just put cold, put their food in there to keep it cold, 
if that's the level of entry that we can't get past, we're not going to make it. <laughs> All right. So sorry I had to bring my frustration to you. But I think this is applicable because there isn't um, there isn't a standard of of there isn't a standard of law, there isn't a standard of work that is fueling no matter what we have to do, if we gotta open up a window and carry it in, guess what we're gonna do? We're gonna get that refrigerator to that spot. And instead, there's some other type of standard that says we don't have to work as hard. We don't have to get things done. We don't have to complete our tasks. And they're working hard at making sure and that's the case. Absolutely. I think what, what we're running into, first of all, is the fact that the lazy man says that there's a lion in the street. Right? We, we have <laughs> Come this, on now. It's like, it's Come like, on now. Really? There was, there was a lion there. You go, first of all, did you shoot it? Right? Like, <laughs> were, 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 you, were you doing your everyday carry the way you're supposed to? And, and were you, you, know, you noticed the lion walking around and you know, just left it for somebody else? And so this, this – this idea that you're looking for ridiculous excuses to avoid work. This, this, there's this general tendency to do that. If you're not doing work to the glory of God, you're going to find that you're trying to look for what can you get away with, right? If you're, if it's your own glory, if it's, if it's, if you're serving your own stomach and you're going, how can I do the least work to get the most stuff I can consume? If it's for power, you're going to go, well, who can I abuse? Who can I not abuse? Mm. And and if, if it's just for money, then you're going to look for, you know, what's the highest price I can get away with for the least thing. And so, that that idea, right? If we're if we're doing work to the glory of God, and we go, I made an agreement to do this thing. I'm going to either get these people, you know, their money back, or I'm going to solve the problem for them. You know, this if they go, oh, we have to pay you back for this thing, and just and if we can't get it in, right? That's the attitude. That's different from right. We'll figure out how to get this thing in, and if we don't, then you're stuck with it, haha. Right. So th- those those different attitudes. So the idea of service versus the idea of I am I am trying to use you to simply get gain. So I think those are those are big things. And when you, you talk about the idea of taking care of a woman, if you're moving a big piece of machinery like, you know, a refrigerator, and you're 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 just gonna kind of pawn it off on her as well, this is your problem now. That's the taking advantage of the weak, right? That's using mm. someone who has less physical strength and just kind of leaving it with them as their problem. And you know, you you're a strong guy. You can you can deal with it. You've got other, you know, you've got experience dealing with this kind of thing, so you can solve it, but like you said, if she didn't have a man of the house, like what's she stuck with? You know, this is, um, yeah, that's, that's a problem. I think I'll, I'll fix it. I'll figure it out. I was going to get there. Right. Like, I, I think you're right. There is an idea, which is if they had to say, well, the money that they pay us to deliver this and the money that they made in selling you this all has to be taken away. I bet you that refrigerator would be in that spot right now. They'd figure it out how to get in there because all contingent on that. But there's no repercussions for not doing something, right? There's no repercussions for it. And the thing that really drove me to think about this a little more, and which I think is connected to um, what we're going to talk about, is the hard work is being done regardless. It's just being done in a different way. So Mm -hmm. either you're going to work hard to complete the task and finish it well, or you're going to work hard and trying to figure it out, trying to figure out how not to. I mean, this is what's really important about Proverbs and understanding Proverbs Remember what the lazy person is is punished with, hard work and labor. Right, right. <laughs> like it's that's not like oh no, it's it's the lazy one who gets that, right? And right. so, and, and I think you have to work harder not to get the job done, than to actually get the job done. Right. La- lazy people think they're so clever for figuring out ways to be lazy. Right. There's this uh, there's this mm. tendency to go, you know, the lazy man thinks he's wiser than seven men who can give a sensible answer. Right. There's this. 
there's this idea that look how clever I am for being able to avoid work. And it's in reality, no, you've just destroyed your own reputation. You failed to get anything done here. Um, and, and you have stupidly labored, you've still stupidly labeled your failure as a success. Um, and, mm. and that there's this, there's this stupidity there that's been, uh, overtaking the nation. The other thing is, you know, it's difficult for a lot of times for employers to figure out how they can discipline employees, um, mm. and to make it so they're required to do good work. Um, and because of the subsidies that we have on not working welfare, uh, you have a lot of people who kind of don't feel like they have to work that hard because the worst case scenario is they can extract money through the taxation system and have it come into their hand. And so um, if instead of that, we had the biblical systems, if we, instead of having a welfare system that's established by the state, instead of having, you know, laws that are, uh, that make it difficult for employers to fire or to, you know, discipline or whatever, if instead you made it easy for that to be the case, then what you have is discipline multiplies. People are forced to deal with consequences faster. And so what you want to see is a more free society where people are able to simply engage in employee employment, employee and employer relationships easily where you can require, you can deal with discipline um, and, uh, and to just have that be simple as opposed to having it be a complex system that makes it hard on employers. The other, the other thing is we make it so it's impossible to go to court for things, for, for things that aren't like a really big deal. It, nobody, you have a thousand dollar, two thousand dollar, three thousand dollar problem. You're not going to go to court over it because it's going right. to take forever. And right. as opposed to you've got a local magistrate that doesn't require you to have lawyers or anything like that. You just you just go and you go. Hey, this person ripped me off on this thing. Here's the thing. Here's the witness. This is what the agreement was. The other person you know gives their their position quickly. There's a decision quickly on how to deal with something like that. It, it takes forever to deal with anything in court. And so small matters simply can't be dealt with, which means the poor don't have justice. Mm. Right? The, the court system is designed not even for millionaires anymore. It's designed for decamillionaires. Um, it's not worth going to court on anything unless you're going to spend, you know, a quarter of a million dollars or something. And if you're not going to spend that, your, your lawyer is going to be an incompetent rube who doesn't care at all. Um, I'm sure nobody's ever had this experience, but you may find that if you have a lawyer who you are trying to pay to deal with a small matter, they view you as a nuisance and it's like they're doing you a favor if they pick up the phone. You have to pay these people a lot of money for them to even think of you as a client worthy of the time. And so you either end up with these lawyers that are sort of, you know, going after people who don't make a lot of money and they view them as sort of a thing to churn through. They yeah. don't provide very good service. Or you have lawyers that are you know, basically helping people who are willing to spend a lot of money. Um, and so it's, it's difficult to get legal attention there. So there's not a court system that's helpful to people who have small dollar items. And by small dollar, I mean like 10 grand, $20,000. Most people, that's not small. That's like, it took months to earn that, right? Come but on it's, now. It's a thing where you, you can't go to court for less than that. You can't get a court to hear you out on it or to resolve the problem or come to a decision on those things. There's no quick resolution to those kinds of problems. So we have the employer law issues, we have the court system problems, and we have the fact that there's not a, a easy way uh, to deal with the fact that most people know that they have the welfare system as a safety net, as opposed to having to deal with the consequences of being lazy. Why are you sidetracking what we're supposed to be talking about today? Why, why you, 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 you're right. <laughs> I, I did start this in some type of way. I'm just, uh, I'm just, it hinders everything. Like no one... You know what happens to your household when you don't have food in it or you can't cool your food or your wife can't cook dinner and everybody thinks, oh, that's not a big thing. It affects everything. Yeah. It, it, your family is a fine tune. Your family is like your teeth. 
It's a fine-tuned machine, and one minute thing getting a piece of tuna getting stuck in your teeth will annoy you all day. And everybody, like, why you got an attitude? Why you acting? I got tuna in my tooth, and it's like it's not a big thing, but it's like it will become that, you know. And and this is what what you just said is so important. I'm gonna try and segue to our conversation, which we're gonna talk about the table, first table of God's law and how to seek the greater good and get wisdom from that for self-government. We're going to get there, but I, let, let's take this journey for a second. You just talked about the courts and how the courts aren't able to deal, and it's not there really for small people because it's so expensive to work through. And lawyers think you're a nuisance if you try and get rightfully what's yours. So it's not about the standard of what's right and wrong anymore. Mm-hmm. It's about how big of an issue is this going to be and how much money can we make off of it. The ethics has switched, right? right. That That civic system is a product of the church system. There are people who refuse to deal with um, conflict resolution on small things. And so what they do is they wait for something to be massively exaggerated or massively out of, out of whack and then say, now we gotta have some sort of hearing on this. Rather than saying, wait a second, what did you say? And why are you changing it? Well, brother, we have some conflict here that we need to resolve, let's deal with this. And we don't deal with the things why they're trifles when they're small things. And so then when it comes time for something big, we don't no, we really can't deal with them well because we have and we shouldn't. And we have too many big things <laughs> on the side of that because we don't deal with the small things. And so our civic society is is a product of what's happening in our family society and in our church societies. And we're wondering why our civic doesn't, society doesn't seem to care about the small guy. Well, it's because we haven't been caring about the small guy and the small issues in our own courts, in our Christian courts, in our family courts. And we just um, have been saying, well, we'll wait till it gets big enough to deal with. And it's like, if you have a garden, you pull them weeds out early. You deal with that stuff while it's small. And you deal with all the small things and nothing is really too small because it's an affront against God. Go ahead. I'll let you have the last word before I turn it. Uh, I think that's true, and it's also convicting, right? Because there's so many there's so many weeds that need to be tended to. Yes, that, you know, we all make excuses to try to avoid dealing with them, and then you turn around, and all of a sudden, it's it's a tree. Um, and, <laughs> and say, well, the, well, I didn't realize it was the same species as that. Uh, so that 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 um that that's a real problem. But but I also think um, just just something whenever something like what just happened to you happens, I think it's important to use it as a brief uh, opportunity to look around and think about preparedness for stuff, right? Anything related to food, whatever. So you go, okay. So like, what if our refrigerator went out right now? Like what's, what's one of the things that you think about for that? Cause you that don't want to rely is going to get caught. I'm going to tear that Fox up. I'm going to go ahead. <laughs> we have a Fox so, tonight, y'all. <laughs> so, so you think about that, you think about that, 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 that element there. And then as far as the, the civil sphere goes, yeah, you got You got absolutely got to deal with the small things, conflict resolution. Um, and I think conflict resolution is an important part of what we need to, we talk about as we get down the line here, um, because the way people talk to each other and deal with things is certainly a huge part of whether or not a society can interact in a way that glorifies God. Uh, if you don't deal with it on the small level, it's going to break down um, on the bigger level. So Owen Strand gets on Twitter and says, the kingdom of Christ does not advance by law. The kingdom of Christ advanced by the gospel, David. And here you are, you're going to do a whole show with me on the first table of the law and seeking the greater good. Don't you know the gospel? Yeah, it's interesting. The law of God made it so I was aware of my need for the gospel. Um, it showed me what I was saved from, breaking the law. Uh, and it showed me what I was saved to, to keep the law. 
And kingdoms are interesting things. They tend to have kings, officers, and law. And so, you know, if you if you if you don't have any law, you don't really have a kingdom. Um, and and so, I don't know. I don't know what he thinks the kingdom is. Maybe he thinks the kingdom is just a, a just a bunch of people running around telling people news with no commands. Uh, you know, oh, the, you know, the gospel. The gospel saves us from law breaking to law keeping. It doesn't save us by our law keeping. It saves us by Jesus's law keeping for us in our place, in our stead, right? So justifications by grace alone, through faith alone, in the mediatorial work of Christ alone. He saves us from our law breaking to law keeping. And that's it's not our law keeping that saves us, but I'll tell you what, if salvation is salvation from law breaking to we get to do more law breaking, then what you know what that's saying is let's sin that grace may abound, right? Which is what the apostle Paul repudiates. So law is certainly a part of the advance of the kingdom of Christ. We have to teach the law and the gospel. And if you just say that Jesus is your savior, but he doesn't have the right to tell you what to do, you're an antinomian. Um, And so he is savior and Lord. And when we confess him as Lord, we're confessing him as lawgiver, as commander, as one we must obey. It is an insult to remove the law from the fulfillment of the law. That's what Christ is, right? Right. <laughs> right. Like, how do you even, so, and I love how you said this is so good, but I love how you said this. When you say kingdom, when you talk about a kingdom, a kingdom comes with a leader and with rules and, and a law. So I always thought about this. This is so funny. When people talk about doing good, how do you know when you do good? How do you know when you've done wrong? How do you know that you are loving Jesus, right? If you love me, keep my commandments, Yes, (laughs) right? And so it's funny to see someone who is supposed to be a teacher of the law, a teacher of God's word, pitting the law and the gospel against each other with the kingdom, to use the kingdom. And, and, and And it's why I think we're in this place where we haven't understood how seeking the law of God gives us wisdom. And that's what I want to talk with you about today. There's been a lot of talk in the Christian nationalist circle about first table of law, not first table of law. What say you, why do we need the first table of law and what is it really good for? Yeah. So, I mean, all of the law, whether it's first table or second table has three uses, right? The, the three uses are emblemized by three items, right? Tools, right? There's the mirror, there's the chain, and there's the lamp. Right, so the law of God is a mirror to show us who we really are. You're awful. You're the worst. I'm the worst too. <laughs> and then, in addition to that, it shows us the holiness of God, and therefore that He's not going to just like look past our awfulness. And so, it shows our need of a Savior. Right? The second one, the binding effect, is it restrains man's evil. Right. Mm. So the the law of God creates social pressures. It uses. You know, we have the sword. We have the rod. We have various things that help to restrain external manifestations of wickedness. So that even out of hypocrisy, people will do things to look good. And it's still way better to be around a person who doesn't steal from you so that you'll think well of them than to be around a person who steals from you because they don't care if you think well of them. Right? I'd rather be around that guy, the guy who wants me to think well of him and doesn't steal from me because of that, than the guy who just steals. So right, right. That, that's a, it's an external thing. It's a blessing to us and not to the reprobate. Um, so that being the case, the third one, the lamp unto our feet, it shows us the way of wisdom. So this idea, there's, there's uses of the law there. The first table of the law powerfully shows us our root sin. It shows us 
that we didn't glorify God as we ought to have, which is the key problem. Everybody wants to, if you want to emphasize the idea of the second table and just our duties to our neighbor, right? The, the first table, commandment one, two, three, and four, right? They teach us our duty to God. And the rest of the commandments, five through 10, teach us our duty to neighbor. And if, and if all we focus on in the civil sphere is the second table, um, well, first of all, where do you get the biblical basis for saying that that should only be enforced and not the first table? Uh, but the second thing is, if you're going to say that, what, what you're doing is you're saying we're going to help people to see their need of salvation by just focusing on their interaction with other creatures. And, and the law Ooh. is a teacher that shows us our need of salvation, and it needs to point to God, the God of the system. And so we need to recognize that the only reason we should care about the rights of our neighbor is because of the fact that God is the one who gives those rights. Otherwise, what is the basis of them having any rights or anything we need to care about or any care for them? Um, they're, they're not God. They're not gods in themselves. They're not ends in themselves. Uh, God is the only end in himself. How, um, so then how is it? Because I think when people think about particularly those who understand the dominion mandate and idea of dominion, they're like, well, what does dominion look like? And then they all start, even people who are, who would like the first table, they all start, well, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Don't steal from anybody. They, they go and they go right down the second table of the law on your father and mother, which is great. I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh, but you're saying there's a dominion that can be taken in uh, that starts in the first table of the law. Absolutely. And so when we think about all the covenant institutions, they all need to keep the first table of the law. Um, and with your, with yourself, no, no, no. When you say that, don't just run past that. When you say all the covenant institutions, you're talking about those four, those four covenant institutions, self-government, the civil government, you know, the civil mm -hmm. government, the church and the family government. Right. All first table. Okay. Yes. Because the first table, the first commandment shows you what the good is, right? The first, mm. the first commandment is about who God is. What, what are you supposed to worship? What's the end? What's the goal? What's the highest good? What's the most valuable thing? Um, so we're to have no other gods in the sight of the true God, which is only just to have no other gods. So, so if that's the case, the first law is about what is the good, and the good is God. And so we're supposed to know him, we're supposed to acknowledge him. And so there's the internal part, and then there's the external part. And that means we're going to say all of our good works need to be pointed at the glory of God. All of our, our mm. thoughts need to be focused on the glory of God, right? Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We're supposed to take every thought captive to Christ, mm -hmm. every thought, right? So you, you are not going to even use the rest of the laws properly unless you understand the goal. Um, the, one of the things that happens when you read the Gospels, Jesus has conflict, and his conflict with the Jews is often about the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. um, the main thing that they end up doing is they end up rejecting the proper exceptions in terms of works of necessity and mercy because they don't understand the goal. They don't understand the goal of the Sabbath to glorify God. They think of the Sabbath as a rule set to be keep without regard to the effect. And we're mm. not supposed to just pursue the effect without regard to a rule either. We're supposed to have the goal in mind and have a rule set. And we apply the rule set in such a way that we do not violate the rule set and we pursue the goal. Mm. And so the goal of the glory of God is necessary. Otherwise, we end up making man for the rule set as opposed to the rule set for man to make man glorify God better. That's moral therapeutic deism for the most part, though, isn't it? Right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's right. And we're that way, and we don't even know that's what we're doing. But what we're trying to do is save people from what we think is a is a, um, 
uh, legalism. Right. And, and so there's this, people are afraid of rules because they think every rule set is, self, is self-righteousness. Yeah, Owen's right? afraid of rules, obviously. Right. I mean, you, rule, self-righteousness is not just having rules. Self-righteousness is pretending like you keep them perfectly. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> okay. So, okay. Right? That's, what, that's what self-righteousness is. So, so if I say my duty is to honor the Lord with every thought, word, and deed, then that's a rule set. If I tell you that I always do it, I'm a liar and I'm self-righteous, right? Mm. I violate the law of God. I'm a breaker of his law. I am in need of salvation by the work of Christ. And because Christ paid for my sins and kept the law perfectly, therefore I'm just. That's not because of my law keeping. It's his law keeping, right? So, right. so you know, people like to, to throw around the word legalist. Um, and the word legalist has three definitions. And everybody needs to know these three definitions. The first okay. one is the one that everybody is afraid of, which is works righteousness, right? That, that you, by perfectly obeying the law, are able to be righteous, okay? I'm not saying that, right? That's, that's, if anybody says that, then okay, that's another gospel. It's, that's a false gospel. That's, that's do this and live. It's the covenant of works. None of us are saved by the covenant of works ourselves. We're all saved by Christ keeping the covenant of works. So then the second definition of legalism is to have a set of man-made laws. Right? So you go, oh, you know, you can't eat vanilla on Tuesdays or, you know, Rome's invention of you can't be a church officer and be married or you can't eat, you know, meat on Fridays or those are all man-made laws, right? That's, that's legalism in the second sense of man-made laws. Well, Puritanism and theonomy are both assertions of God alone is Lord of the conscience and has left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men. Therefore, you're subject to the laws and doctrines of God, right? So we're free from men because we have a law from God. So now you go, okay, so what's the, what's the third definition? The third definition is legalism is when you think God's law tells you the difference between good and evil. That's the one that normally people are saying that then they get called a legalist. And what people want you to believe is that the person is either asserting self-righteousness or they're asserting man-made laws. But Asserting God's law is not asserting man-made law. So this is a con game. It's a shell game. And the intention is to use a label that everybody wants to avoid and to use it in a confusing way. And so everybody needs to have those three definitions of legalism memorized so they can deal with the shell game. And what do you do when, when you just, what do you do when people hit you with that? Somebody calls me a legalist, which has never happened. <laughs> um, if somebody calls me a legalist, what I do is I tell them, here are the three definitions of legalism. And I try to do it really fast, right? So you just go like man-made law, works righteousness, or saying that I know the difference between good and evil based upon Which one? what God yeah. commands. Which yeah. one do you mean? And it seems like what you actually mean is, you know, one of those first, you know, one of those first two, and you're somehow saying the third one's bad, uh, or you're trying to equate those things, right? So you just just kind of you just call them out, right? And and typically observers, when when you call people out on their tricks, it's sort of like if you're playing a game and somebody keeps fouling you. As soon as you point it out, it's like, this guy's fouling me. Like, don't, you know, don't, don't flop. You don't you do whatever, right? You just go, hey, this guy, stop it. Like, this guy is doing this thing. And you just manfully move on, right? Everybody starts to go, yeah, that guy mm-hmm. is just fouling that guy flagrantly, right? So if other people start to foul you flagrantly in a debate and you just call it out and manfully move on, most of the people's hearts will be with you and they'll see the other guy as wicked. Mm, that's really good. All right, so... I we we took like four or five different 
<laughs> side roads. I'm sorry. There's just so much. There's just so much here. Um, I want to get to last week's homework too, and I want some homework for this week as well. But so seeking the greatest good, the first commandment tells us to seek the greatest good, and that's and from there we have an internal reality to that, and then it shows up externally. Where were you yes. going after that? So that external formation looks like what is the house's work going to be focused on? What is mm. the church's purpose, right? What is, because what is of the love state's for God. Purpose, yeah, right? gotcha. Yeah. So, so if, if the goal is the glory of God, if, if, if the knowledge of God is the good for man, if acknowledging God externally is what the institutions are supposed to do, they're supposed to acknowledge him in their pro proper ways. So that means, for example, in the household, you're going to teach your family about the whole of the law of God, and you're going to apply it all, and you're going to expect everybody to seek to outwardly conform to that more and more. And you're going to then also apply discipline, for example, to children in that. And for example, in the workplace. And so a lot of people are, a lot of Christian business owners are like terrified to have external requirements of Christianity inside of their business. So you go, well, I might, I might fire a guy if he drops an F-bomb, but if he takes the Lord Jesus Christ's name in vain, I'm not going to fire him. What kind of a coward are you, right? Mm. If, 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 a master is attacked. If a dog sees his master attacked, he will bark. That's what mm -hmm. Calvin said. So how could we not bark if we see our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, attacked? Right. So if we see, you see, you, know, you make sure to rebuke. If you if you're the Lord of that domain, make sure to rebuke. Whether it's your your children, your wife, or a servant, you rebuke somebody for taking the Lord's name in vain. Right. That that's an important part of that. So this idea of yes, you should ex you should require external conformity. And you should be able to do that in your own domain. And if there's some sort of a consequence for doing righteousness, then okay, right? Ask the Lord to bless it. And uh, frankly, you have some sort of legal thing happen where you're doing righteousness and you get persecuted for it. Like, reach out, reach out to me on, on, on X, okay? Reach out to me on X and we'll examine it and consider if there's some way to help, okay? But if you're, if you're trying to use Christianity to cover up for wickedness, um, I'm not going to help you. Okay, but mm. if there's some way in which you're actually doing something righteous and you are trying to accomplish something and you get persecuted in some way, let me know. I'll see, see if there's a way we can we can help in some way. So, um, so that that that's a that's one thing. So you do that in all the domains in the church as well. Obviously, everybody's going to go. Oh yeah, the first table should be applied there. Well, actually, frankly, they don't. Most churches don't think the Sabbath applies. I don't think the first table applies. Mm. So. And then in the state as well. So that's going to apply there in terms of the state shouldn't break it. But secondly, the state should also be seeking to deal with when there's criminal violations of those things. So blasphemy laws, um, public idolatry, um, swearing falsely in the name of God, um, the idea of, 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 of breaking the Sabbath, those are all things that have typically had in Christian civilization some sort of a, a civil criminal sanction against it. Um, and, you know, because of like since the 1970s or whatever, we haven't had a lot of those things. Everybody's going, oh, OK, well, this has been for a long time. We haven't had these things. This is the entire course of history of Western civilization with Christianity going forth, having those things be things that are considered a part of appropriate law, even in the United States until a generation ago. Right? That's that's what we're looking at. So we all think that, like that's some sort of crazy, uh, you know, Shah, or not that Shah, but the there's some Iranian theocracy with the with the imams or whatever, and it's like no, this is this is what liberty grew up in is acknowledging the God who gives us our rights. So that with the first table, we have to have the goal, and we have to acknowledge that there's external and internal elements there. And so if we don't know what the good is, and we spent our you know two shows ago, we talked about the good, God as the good, and the knowledge of God, and how there's all so these good. special, valuable oh. pieces of of the knowledge of God that are distinct from other definitions of the good. And so you have to pursue that, 
And if you don't pursue that, then you're not going to understand how to use the other commandments in order to properly have benefit from them. What else is on your sheet over there? Because I have more questions, but I want to make, we usually don't get through what's on your sheet. And I want to try as much as I can to get through what's on your sheet. So the second commandment is, I, I, want, I want to open up people's eyes to this. So most people think the first commandment- Open them up, David! Open them up! I'm ready! I'm ready! <laughs> most, most people want to think that the first commandment is about who we should worship, and then they think the second commandment is also about who we should worship. Or it's like, don't have any other gods. Also, don't worship idols. And everybody thinks that means the same thing. Okay. Yep. Yeah. The first commandment is about who to worship, what to worship. The second commandment is how to worship. Okay. And and there's this thing where because we have failed to understand the importance of vocation, calling, glorifying God in all mm. of life, there's an emphasis in a lot of preaching where people say all of life is worship. That's true. It's true that we are supposed to serve God in all of life. It is true that we should glorify God in all of life. It's true that when we make shoes, we should do it to the glory of God, right? Whatever we're doing, we should do it to the glory of God. So all of our work in life should be to glorify God. We need to live recognizing that it's before God that we live and move and have our being. We need to recognize that he sees everything, all of our thoughts, all of our words, all of our deeds. It's all there. He judges all of it. Okay, so great. Everything's for his glory. But there is a distinction between our duty to glorify God in the whole of life and set apart holy times, and those set apart holy times, we use the elements of worship that he's appointed. Okay, so that idea, the elements of worship, is a technical term that you find in Reformed doctrine, in Reformed documents, talking about the stuff we're commanded to do as worship to God. And with worship, you know, the, the, the idea of worship is about this idea of bowing before God, the the, the Hebrew and Greek words, which you, you rebuked me for using foreign words last time, so I won't do <laughs> uh, But the Hebrew and Greek words uh, that are used for these are words that basically mean bow down. And, and these, these words are, uh, are basically showing us that there's a, there's a use of external physical symbolism that points to this idea of communing with God, so the bowing before God. So when you set apart time to worship God, which is what the fourth commandment's about, what you're doing is you start with an, a ritual like standing for the word of God or bowing for prayer or external expression of sung praise. And, and these, these rituals that are external acts are supposed to be accompanied by the application of the mind to God to commune with him. So you use these external rituals and these external rituals are designed to help to feed our minds with the knowledge of God. And we have to apply our minds to them as opposed to using them hypocritically or in a vain way or in a, in a you know, vacuous-minded way or a way where we're not paying attention. And so this idea that these external rituals show us how to worship God, these external rituals are the things that we do. And you start, you, you mark off time as holy by the external rituals. So for us, for example, at Puritan Reformed Church, we start with everybody stand for the reading of God's word and we read the call to worship. The standing is a ritual and the preaching or the, sorry, the reading of that word is a, is a ritual. And we end with a benediction with the raising of hands. And that's an external ritual. Those things are meaningful and powerful, but they are external rituals. The raising of hands is a ritual to indicate blessing. And the standing is to respect God coming into the room when his word is being read, right? So, so that idea, and he's obviously everywhere present all the time, but the idea is the standing is he's specially there. He's present in a special way with his word. 
right? So, so these external elements of worship, the things we're commanded to do, have a religious significance. They have, they have, they are, they are ceremonies of the new covenant. And so, the second commandment says how to worship. There's another thing called circumstances, and the circumstances are things that are inherent in the nature of human action or human societies. Okay, so a human action means like you're a human being, you're going to be someplace. Okay, you're a human being, it's got to be done in time sequence. Okay, the nature of a human being is you have to make a choice about it. If there's not explicit command about the, you know, which sequence to do something in, you have to make a decision on the basis of the general principles of the word. And you're going to do it in an orderly way for edification, right? So those are general principles of the word. So those are circumstances, things you have to make a choice about. The same is true of a group, right? So you go, we got to meet somewhere, right? We got to start meeting at a certain time. You got to send people out. So there's elements, the stuff you do, and there's circumstances, which are the things that are necessary to the very nature of human action and of human societies. So the second commandment is about we need to do the stuff to worship God the way he says. So the first commandment is what to worship. The second commandment is how to worship. And the word of God has all these blessings on proper worship. It tells us that if you worship God wrongly, there's curse to the third and fourth generation. But if you worship him rightly, there's blessing to the, how many generations, Knox? Those are those are spiritual though, right, David? Those are Only, there's never, ever any sort of external things, ever. God never, if you've read, anybody who's read the Bible knows that there's no external curses and there's no external blessings ever. Oh, wait. Right. Right. And but if you that was the Bible at all, you know that's a joke. Yeah, right? I mean that's, that's Old Testament stuff, though, right? Like that doesn't happen in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. Yeah, in the Old Testament, you know, uh, God was mean, and in the New Testament, God became a Christian, right? That's the, <laughs> <laughs> became a nice guy. Right? Well, there's a lot of people that think that the gospel and the law, you know, it's obvious that the gospel saved him. So you know, the law not so good. That's not how the kingdom advances. So, oh, man. yeah, but that's really, that's really the thought process. David, you're, you're hitting on something because as you was talking, I was thinking to myself, oh my goodness, idolatry in the lack, and this is what judges is decreation stuff that's going on here. But what you see in judges is the idolatry. Go ahead, jump, jump in. No, jump no you in. got it. Keep going. You're saying it perfectly. I'm sorry. I should have <laughs> moved it all. I should have been like. No, no I was, you're going to say it way better than I do. So I was going to let you say it. But judges, you, what, what is going on here? You have how the worship is not taking place properly, and that is bringing down judgments, even as God is saving them. <laughs> right. Right? And and it's right. like, and then, the, but the victories are so short-lived because of the worship is broken. And this was what was said, what would happen if you don't worship me this way. And the curses are not spiritual curses. They're all connected. The right. spirit, they're both. They're both. They're both. Right? They're, that's right. They're, there's not this bifurcation of one. Because your worship is broken, your rain won't come down from heaven. Because yes. your work of worship is broken, your harvests and your fields won't be blessed, and you'll be robbed by your enemies. And, because, and your refrigeration you know, installation guys are not going to move the refrigerator through the door because they don't want to glorify God in their work. Oh. Now you've got to make me look up like, what have we done? <laughs> Are you guys applying the regulated principle of worship? I, I'm, about to, <laughs> about to say, oh my goodness, we've missed it so well. I'm examining myself right now. Like, Lord, why? Uh, this is first world problems. But it's so true. There's a disconnect. And that's what's so crazy about this tweet. There's a disconnect between the law of God telling you what the greatest good is 
And what does it look like to honor God as he's told you to honor him with the knowledge of the greatest good, right? And when right. you don't do that, it, it, the world doesn't even move and operate. The curses are just like, people think that, um, it, it, I don't have to, if you slip and fall, gravity is just going to have it its effect. God doesn't have to say, gravity, make sure this person's fault. It's just designed that way, right? It's the way that the world is designed to work underneath the, the um, how God has commanded it to work. And when you don't, the ground says, uh-uh, nah, buddy, <laughs> doesn't work that way, right? And, and so it, this is just automatic, and we don't even think of it like that. We think that somehow we're so mechanistic, we think we can turn the system by pure will. Right. And the other thing is, not only does he like make it so there's this way that things tend to go where there's curses that naturally follow certain types of disobedience, but also he like makes it into some sort of like world wrestling federation show by like Mac, by increasing it. He's like, for this one, I'm going to put my hand here and I'm going to make you move faster down. Right. So he adds supernatural curse and That's causes right. additional things on top of the sort of natural way that curses would fall Bitch, out of those up. things. Yeah, that's, exa that's exactly right. And I, But if we can get that, then you don't make stupid tweets like this. Then you don't make stupid comments about, hey, we don't need the first table of the law, right? Because you start to realize, wait a second, you're loving your neighbor and the blessing from that is only going to work if you do it in the way that God has said to do it. So then you don't get to prescribe your own version of what lo loving your neighbor looks like. Right. It has to be done in the way that God has said to do it both. In, and, and David, maybe I'm wrong here, so I, I'll let you correct me. But in the second commandment, I think you can break those two parts up into there is a prescribed way to worship God in a, in a special sense that we do that Sabbath rest. And there's also one is like, and in worship and just the, I, for, I don't mean it like this, but the mundane, the everyday way as well. It, I think that can apply to both sides of that, right? And, sure. and that's what's inside the, the tables of the law are working that reality out. Yeah. So we, we have a we have the regulated principle of worship, which means that in the set apart times that we worship God, we're supposed to take everything except for those elements of communing with God, the elements of worship, and only do those in the set apart times. Right? Those are holy unto God. And then there's the rest of life, which is also supposed to be spent glorifying God yeah. only in the way that he's appointed, right? So that's sort of the right. regulated principle of life, where it's the sufficiency of scripture for all of life so that we have, you know, the rule of faith and, and life, right? That scripture is not just a rule for what we do at church. It's not just a rule for what you do in family worship or, or private worship. It's a rule for what you do in the whole of life. But there's, but we, we need to carefully guard those times. And then we also need to carefully apply the sufficiency of scripture to all of life, including the state. And, and so that's the, you know, people are afraid of that. So the other thing that, that, that Owen's doing here that's, that's a mistake is this, there's a, not a careful use of the words law and gospel in a lot of circles. And so what you find yeah. is some people say gospel only means the news and law only means the commands. Okay. Sometimes people will say gospel means the old New Testament, you know, law means the Old Testament. Um, they're both true. Okay. The, the, the scriptures use the word law in three ways. You find it, say, the law, and sometimes, depending on the verse, it means like the whole word of God. Sometimes it uses the word law, and it's talking about the Old Testament in contrast to the New. Yeah. Sometimes you see the word law, and it's talking about only the commands, right? So that's from the broadest use to the most narrow usage. And then with the word gospel, you actually see basically the exact same thing, except that last portion, there's, there's the distinctions. You go, the gospel can be used to refer to the whole counsel of God. The, the word gospel can be used to refer to just the New Testament. 
And the word gospel can also be used to just refer to the news, the indicatives. So law gospel distinction is talking about those third uses for each word where you'd say, look, we want to distinguish between the commandments of God and the gospel, which tells us how, you know, the news of what Jesus did, right? And absolutely, we need to, it's justification is by faith in the gospel, right? And, and the gospel is news about how we didn't keep the commandments and how Jesus paid for our failure to keep the commandments, right? So, so, and then the, the law tells us, again, the good life to live out of that. So those distinctions are important grammatical distinctions, but which, which one does he mean when he says the kingdom of God is not what advanced by, by law, right? It's like, is it not advanced by the whole counsel of God? Well, that's ridiculous, right? Is it not advanced by the New Testament? Well, that's ridiculous. You know, is is you know, is it not advanced? Sorry, not advanced by the Old Testament? That's ridiculous. Is yeah. it not advanced by the commandments? That's ridiculous, right? So none of the uses of the word law are words that that makes sense for. So all he can really, what he's obviously doing is he's really saying commandments. And even there, that's absurd, right? So none of the usages work, though. None of it makes any sense to put that forward. Well, and I think so. No, I think you just, that was really good and very helpful. And and by the way, this isn't just him. Everybody, a lot of people in Christendom are making this problem. And I just noticed something. When you, when he says the kingdom of Christ, I think that there is this upper story idea of the kingdom of Christ that does not touch down, down here. Yeah. Which is what we were just talking about, the law of God. And that's where I think the conversation really is. And this is why we have this uh such a problem with christians are torn between this idea we want our civil government to be good right and but not too christian because we don't <laughs> want the first table right but but we want enough christian to be able to have peaceable lives and we act like that there's some sort of middle in here where we can get a pseudo christian ish type of culture where we can live in peace and but without going too crazy, right? Like that, we're trying to figure out how to have our cake and eat it too. Cause we, we kind of want to keep the paganism because too much Christianity would be bad. Right. Right. Christianity <laughs> becomes an ornament then, or like a check on like, we want to have sin, but not too much sin. Right. Like right. It, it's, it's it, so I just, anybody who wants to deal with the very basics of the classic reformed view of the kingdom of Christ, like, let me read you the shorter catechism on, on Christ as King. Okay, leave just, it to just, a Puritan. Just, just leave it to right. a Puritan. So you know, how does Christ execute the office of a king? Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. I love that. Okay. How, how, does, how does he rule us? He rules us by his law, by his officers, right? And the, the, the ruling, the restraining and subduing of enemies, right? That's, you know, Psalm 2 talks about you know, the enemies of God, the kings, in particular, that are rebelling against Messiah, wanting to throw off his chains because they're mm. binding down. It's like, what are those chains? It's the law of God. Kings want to do whatever they want and not be told by God to not do it. That is that is the fight that Puritans have always had against against kings. That is the fight that Christians have always had against kings. You know, Christ is Lord, not Caesar. Right? That's the fight against these kings trying to pretend to be God. That's the problem. They don't want God's law. And if wicked people doesn't want God's law either. And so we conspire with the kings to help them to tyrannize us. Uh, okay, so we got to run. And I want to spend the last little bit that we have talking about this. Last week, you gave us homework. I asked you for homework. I said, what are the five things that we can do in this week in our personal lives? Not because we can't change the government that we're in right now overnight or in a week. We can't change the church overnight in a week. 
But the thing that place that we can change is where we have the most authority immediately, right? Now, that doesn't mean that we don't want to change those things, but where do we have the most immediate authority? And it's with ourselves. We can repent immediately and start to apply God's law right in our homes at this very moment. We don't have to wait for tomorrow. And so I asked you for five things that we could do that would change the world if we started at home. And one of them was private daily worship to God, praying the scriptures, singing the scriptures, and blessing your family was the first one. The second one was family worship, right? And and this is, a, you have to go back and listen last week because we started off with, Pastor did such a great job with this, starting off with how Jesus multiplied his efforts and then you laid out the five things we could do, and it clearly was that of a multiplying our efforts to glorify God by training others and discipling others, starting with yourself in repentance. So family worship was second. The third thing was work to the glory of God. Apply God's law to all of your work, right? Um, that was great. And then fourth was Sabbath rest. Resting on the Lord's day, making sure you don't miss church, making sure you get there, worshiping the Lord the way he's prescribed for you to worship him, the proper way of worship every week, and then tithe. And I love how you said this. You said, um, uh, oh, what was it? On the, You said tithing, God makes you an accountant. And, and on the Sabbath, you said he makes you a project manager, right? And so, so you have to account for the time. You right? have to account for the time. I thought that was great. And so those things, if you're doing those things, you've already started the process of changing the world, but you first have changed your home. And that impact multiplies itself as you apply those in every area that you have authority. Now this week, what's the homework? What can we do to add on to this? Because I'm, I'm going to 10. We started with five because the first table of the law. And then, <laughs> and then so then, or what is the second? If we had to do five more things, let's say we started that and we've been doing that every day. What's five more things in context with what you've been talking about that we can apply this week to, to change the world? So I think the first thing that needs to be done is you need to examine what is your God? Right. And, and and we all have this competing mm. belief and unbelief in our own minds. And so we need to consider, you know, we if we're Christian, then the God of the Bible is our God, right? We the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent, we we are going to worship them. But the issue is we all have certain false gods that we are tempted to seek after. So we need to find what those are so that we can prepare to tear them down. Right. We need mm. to tear down the false gods that are in our minds. So we need to identify those. The second thing is we need to think about how are we worshiping the true God and think about, you know, think about if you're doing private worship, are you doing the things that God has actually instituted in private worship or are you doing things that you're, that you'd prefer that you're making up? Are there, you know, examine mm. the elements of it. What does God actually command individuals to do? Right. And, and I would suggest that there's a pretty short list um, and I'd be happy to give it to you. I've got it in front of me, but we could do that next time. But that's something I, I think everybody should examine themselves and say, what is it they're doing to worship God in private? And can you prove it from scripture that you should be doing that? The same thing with the family. That would be the third thing is examine what are the elements of worship you're including in your family worship. And then I would say the same thing going, the, the fourth point here would be do the same thing for, is there an order of worship at your church? Is there is there a list of the elements there? If there's not, can you observe the service and write down the elements of worship? What are the things that are being done? And examine, are those things in the scriptures? If they are, then there are things that you can do in good conscience, in faith to the glory of God, and you should throw yourself into them. Mm. If you are seeing stuff that is not in the word of God, 
ask your pastors about it. They might be able to show it to you. They might, might be able to show you, hey, this is, this is actually in the Word of God, and here's where it is. And you go, oh, okay, great. And now you can do it in good conscience. If they can't, after a discussion, you need to encourage reformation according to the Word of God there. Right? So that's a, a discussion. That's a way of honorably showing how do you go through conflict and how do you do that in a way that is honoring legitimate authority, speaking to them in an honorable way, discussing it with them out of the Word of God, making sure to be slow to speak, quick to listen, right? And be slow to anger in the process too. So you can, you can show, also you have a chance to show your wife and your children how you would want them to deal with you if you were That's right. dealing with something that you thought was, that they thought was sin or they thought you were giving them an unlawful order. Use this as an example if you think there's something that's unlawful in the worship of how you would want your own family to go through conflict with you. Make sure to do it like they're watching um, and, and like God's watching. Um, so those are so those things, the examining of those, the private worship, the household worship, and the church worship that you're a part of, you're responsible for that. You're responsible for what you do in worship, and you want to be able to say what's being done and what is commanded. Sometimes you might find something's missing, right? You, you, it's not just are you doing That's things right. that aren't commanded, right. but sometimes there's stuff that's missing. Yeah. And sometimes if you can bring to the attention of you know a pastor, you go, a lot of church services, you'll have the preaching of the word, but there's not like a distinct element of reading. You can encourage your pastors and go, you know, Pastor, I, I think the scriptures here say that there should be the reading of the, the scripture. What would you think about incorporating a reading of a portion of the text of scripture in addition to this? I think we'd all be blessed by that, right? You can gently encourage people, and they don't even know you're correcting them sometimes. You're just encouraging them to do what's good. Um, so so that's those, those are those, those four things so far. Um, and the fifth thing that I would ask you to do as you're, as you're kind of doing inventory here is, is do an inventory of your time. Are you actually devoting your time to productive use in terms of six days of the week? And on the Lord's Day, are you using that time for the worship of God? So a time inventory of, mm. of the time that you owe worship to God and also over your work. Um, so if you're, you're examining little chunks of devoted time, what's in them? And you're examining what are the false gods that tempt me to draw away? And you're examining my time usage as a project manager to start considering Am I devoting my time to useful stuff? And the time that I'm devoted to worship, am I doing the stuff God's commanded? Um, you know, is, did, he, did he give me stuff, commands that I'm not adding, that I'm not, that I'm not actually applying? Um, or are we doing stuff that he didn't ask for, right? If, it, if a guy asks you to, to make something as a project manager and you add a bunch of features he didn't ask for and you don't include the features that he did ask for, you're not a very good project manager. Well, that's how you're going to end it like that. You're just going to leave that in. T- okay, well, th- well thanks. Uh, David, brother, thank you for this. I can't recommend enough that you go back. I was thinking about maybe next next show is private worship in the civic covenanting. That might be something that since you got a list there that you didn't get a chance to go through, maybe we hit that up next time. But um, I was I I can't guys listen. What you need to do go back to the YouTube channel, get on the pub app, all the civic covenanting conversations. These are some of the most essential conversations going on right now, essential to every aspect of life that we're talking about. And I don't recommend you missed one. Don't miss one of these. Go and hit the share button, hit the like button. Every conversation I've had with Bishop here has been full of nuggets one way or another. There, I, I can't tell you how many people I'm hearing from on these. Share these with people. We're in the middle of this conversation. 
And there's not a lot of people out there, especially if you're searching Twitter, that got a whole lot of wisdom on this because they've rejected the law of God or they've pitted the kingdom of God against the law of God, or they have the kingdom of God only a top tier, top tier thing, and it doesn't touch down on earth. That is very dangerous. That's dangerous because God has made us both spirit with flesh. It's all united. Um, anyway, so I, next week, we're going to get down on this. So good. Go listen to this again. Hit the share button. Hit the like button. Engage with this post and let other people hear it. Bishop, thank you so much for your time, man. God bless you. Thank you, brother. Lord bless you.